Hello there. Welcome to Just to Be Nominated, a podcast about movies distributed by the Lee Enterprises. The show is hosted by Bruce Miller, an entertainment reporter from multiple decades, who is currently the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Jared McNett, a reporter formerly of the Globe Gazette in Mason City, Iowa, and soon to be also working at the Sioux City Journal. And it's also hosted by me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. This week, we're going to be burrowing deeper under the earth-toned blanket of October with David Gordon Green's second installment in his spin on the Halloween franchise. Also on the docket is the latest historical epic from Ridley Scott, The Last Duel. For our staff picks section, we're channeling Michael Myers and hashing out our favorite horror remakes and sequels. Then finally, we're going to take a look at the latest movie news. You can find links to all the movies that we talked about in the show notes, along with links to our social media, etc., to see what we're up to and or contact us if you want to sound off in our DMs. If you like the show, please, 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 please tell your movie-loving pals about us and let us know what you think in the review section of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here it is. Our show kicks off after this short pause. Well, howdy. We've got... Bruce Miller out in Sioux City. We've got me in Madison. And uh, for this episode and this episode alone, we have Jared McNett in Parts Unknown. <laughs> Where are you? Are you sitting like in some hotel? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Parts Unknown Motel 6. Is that the? <laughs> yes. What's the old movie? Uh, motel Hell, right? Isn't that a movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're checking you in to make sure it's it, it really is a Halloween film. Check in anytime you like. We can never leave. Well, Jared is in between gigs right now. He accepted a position at the Sioux City Journal, so he actually will be over there next week. Yep. You could join us, Chris. Do you want to join us here in Sioux City? It'd be a trifecta. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we are with you. We are with you. So how's the weekend? Good? Did you see anything fun? I managed to see two smaller indie films that uh, I, I don't know when they're going to be available to everybody. Uh, the new A24 Lamb and the French film uh, Titane. And I know that it is pronounced Titane now because it is short for titanium. Um, and uh, yeah, isn't that one of the uh, Cannes Film Festival things? It won, I believe, the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Fest, and it was announced just the other day that it would be the Oscar foreign film pick for France. It's going to be their submission and their international film. Yep, they changed the title, international film. Nice, right? Yeah. I definitely think this is maybe going to go down as one of the gnarlier films to ever be nominated for an Oscar, presuming that it will make the cut. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody saw the film Raw. I think we might have t- that might have come up the other week in our uh, body horror episode, but it's by the same director who did Raw. Uh, and within the first 20 minutes of the movie Tatane, the main character has sex with a car and I mean literal sex with a car 
and then goes on a killing spree and it it honestly only gets weirder from there but also has this very surprising emotional depth to it that is i don't know i i of all the films that i've seen recently i think Tatane is maybe the one that i it had the most unexpected turns whenever you think you're kind of getting a beat on it it will change gears maybe to uh massacre that <laughs> wordplay but it ends up yeah like i said it's a very affecting film actually in this very surprising way um what you're saying is it's a reboot huh <laughs> it's a yeah it's a prequel to christine that's how the that car got imbued with uh powers in the first place oh man i didn't even think about that <laughs> or you know some kind of a uh prequel to you know this is how the autobots came to be <laughs> so would you say oh yes everybody should go see this or do you go oh, i can only advise certain people to see this there are a lot of people who are going to be either uninterested or outright turned off by this film um but anyone with an open mind i would absolutely encourage to to seek this out um yeah it's i mean it's it's a pretty aggressively strange film but the world that it creates holds together in a way that is very unique and, you know, actually makes the whole thing work because obviously the premise, as I described without any spoilers is bonkers. I mean, it is absolutely insane. And it asks a lot of, of the viewer as far as suspension of disbelief and all, all this, you know, magical realism that's going on in there. But if you can, get past that. I think you're, you're going to have a, a real interesting time walking out of there. And it, whoever you go see this movie with, I feel like you'll, it'll be an interesting car ride home. You know, Do you say if you loved Annette, you'll love this. I think, yes. If you loved Annette, you will like this, or at the very least, you will not regret seeing it. And I, I feel like that's a, a strong recommendation in <laughs> in my book between lamb the new a24 which is about a uh, a lamb that gives birth or a sheep that gives birth to a half human lamb girl named ada and is kind of taken in by this uh eastern european family i don't know farmland that also very very strange and Where does this crap come from? I mean, this is like, really? Somebody said, here's your money. Go ahead and make this movie. But I mean, it's both of the films took these really strange routes and to varying degrees of success, digging into a lot of actual human emotion and finding unexpected ways to make you relate to, to the plight of, of the characters or the state of their heart i suppose so i know i've seen a lot of people at this point say that uh lamb in particular like has gotten a little bit billed as like some kind of horror movie and it's not really that at all is that fair to say chris i would say it's not a horror movie it is a it's closer to being a fairy tale almost like a it's a real like slow burn of a like grim brothers old-timey medieval type <laughs> fairy tale I, i'm maybe not doing it the the best of service here but it's not a horror movie 
I rewatched the trailer for it after I saw it. And a lot of the stuff in the trailer that they use to amp up the anxiety, that imagery in context of the film is much, much more banal. It's not as loaded. Between the two, Tatan, I recommend highly. I would say Lamb a little bit less so, but both of them are, for, for anyone who, who's got, you know, a, a curiosity about just seeing some of the, the stranger, well-made films out there, I both of them are worth seeking out. And I believe both are still in limited release, so I don't know when they're going to roll out more broadly, if they will. I had one that was bizarre, too. Um, it's called The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. I, I I don't think I've talked about him on here before, but like that's a painter I've been obsessed with for a while. Yeah. He does cats, basically. Yeah. And yeah, he like, he did cats and like there's some, like it's been kind of like an apocryphal thing for a while that like you can kind of trace his like mental decline because he like developed like really severe mental problems throughout his life you can trace that decline through his like paintings of cats because the earlier ones are very like much realistic paintings of cats. And then over time they get more and more abstracted until it, you couldn't pick a cat out of the drawings if you tried. They almost look like pop art, you know, it's very yeah. before it's time, but um, it's Benedict Cumberbatch playing this guy who kind of just unhinges and his wife dies and all of they, he really has is this little cat that, um, kind of represents their life together. And then he kind of throws his life into cats. He makes money by illustrating things for a newspaper. They take advantage of him, but then he becomes famous doing just cats. People, cats people, if you will. They like walk around and they seem like humans. And they, they the film credits him with humanizing cats, that cats became more pet friendly than they were before he started doing all this. If, if this is true, who knows? But um, it is fascinating. It's not though the film that, that Benedict Cumberbatch is gonna be kind of known for this year. He's got another one coming up later that it's almost certain he'll be nominated for the Oscar. And the film that you're talking about is The, the Way of the Dog, right? Yeah. So we'll see what happens, but it's fascinating. You see the, you know, uh, um, a lot of makeup tricks are done. And then suddenly the, the, um, the paintings become almost like a psychedelic trip toward the end. It's just kind of, you see these colored bursts of colors that, so I, you have to be in the right mood to see this thing, but that is also making the rounds of, you know, smaller things. It'll be back on Amazon Prime, I think in November. Um, so if you it could be near a theater near you, but it's making the way right now. And, um, what was the title again? Um, the Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, W-A-I-N. And if I remember uh, correctly, one thing that also had me excited about that movie is that Nick Cave is in it playing H.G. Uh, Wells. The uh, musician Nick Cave pops up as H.G. Wells at one point, which I'm very excited about that. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. It would be a, it would be a Jared kind of film. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if you could, uh, I didn't know the thing about uh, Louis Wayne making like cats more pet friendly or whatever, but considering how like memeable cats are now, you could maybe credit him as like a proto 
uh, cat memer, basically, with some of the drawings that he did. So if nothing else, on his headstone, he can have a proto-cat meme guy. <laughs> this stuff was cute. You know, it looked like, it was like cats wearing clothes, standing like humans and talking to each other. And he was just so kind of, if you will, weird and in his own little world that it probably made a lot of sense. And then he just had a lot of traumas in his life that kind of sent him down this path. Does the biopic paint him, again, sorry for that, that was an unintentional pun, within the the world of outsider art? Like, do they talk about Henry Darger and other artists that are the same kind of weirdness? He's just basically trying to make a living to keep his family. He supports all of his sisters and he's the sole support for these people. And they say, you got to get to work. You've got to do something. But he isn't, he isn't um, money savvy. So he really knows what to do. The wife kept him on track. And then she died of cancer. And he really didn't know how to cope beyond that. And so people would take advantage of him and they'd say, you've got to do this or you've got to do that. And yeah, it's it's interesting because um, you see this guy, he's almost like if you're gonna compare it to something, the good doctor, the autistic doctor on good doctor where he's kind of removed from the day-to-day -day affairs. So he doesn't care really about what other people are doing. And the idea that he married is kind of interesting too. You think, why would he have gotten married if he's really all into his own world. But um, but I think that's the the impetus is they they get a cat together and this cat becomes like a child for them. Interesting, Claire Foy, Benedict Cumberbatch. So Jared, you've been deeping, 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 uh, deep diving into the, <laughs> you've been deeping. Um, have you been deep diving into the horror films for this time of year? Did you go see Halloween Kills? I'm seeing it uh, later today, which I'm uh, very excited about. But I, I have been on a tear of uh, watching horror movies uh, this past week because I've had the, the week off. So I've watched like four of the Friday the 13th movies that I haven't seen. I watched uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects, both of which I had actually not seen in their entirety before by uh, Rob Zombie. I watched uh, the original Halloween last night and the 2018 Halloween. And also since the new Halloween Kills is out, which David Gordon Green directed, I watched his uh, debut movie all the way back from 2000, uh, George Washington. So I have uh, been on uh, quite a run of watching stuff. And then in, uh, in theaters on a Tuesday night, I went and saw uh, the new Bond movie, uh, No Time to Die, which I enjoyed. It was a lot of fun. Good, good. Did you lock the doors twice at home then to make sure that all those killers aren't coming in? I, yeah, triple, double and triple checked. And uh, I, I will say too, even with the uh, the Bond movie, the, the opening part of that movie, like honestly almost felt straight up like a horror movie, the way it kind of plays out where they're in this like very cozy like lodge in uh somewhere in scandinavia i don't remember if it's supposed to be norway or sweden or what but like just this very cozy lodge and you see this just like lone figure like slowly walking across this like lake yeah that was uh i was kind of surprised by that that was not the way i expected a bond movie to open so even the uh new bond movie has a little bit of uh horror in it yeah he stands like one of those um is it Mike Myers that would stand out the window and you'd look in and you go, oh my God, what is that? 
Mike Myers. Yep. Michael Myers. Michael Myers. <laughs> I'm on a first name basis. We're friends, Mike. <laughs> right? There's some some police officers in from Haddonfield who I'm sure would love to have a conversation with you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, then of all Halloween's, which one did you like best? I mean, it's it's if I was ranking them, obviously the original would still be on the, the top of the pile for me. And then it might honestly be Halloween 3, which I've talked about before and I love a lot because of how goofy it is. It doesn't have anything to do with Michael Myers at all. It's just a really goofy movie about uh, Celtic like pagary, basically, is what that movie ends up being about, which I enjoy uh, quite a bit. And then probably third is the, the newer Halloween, which I, again, like I said, I watched last night, the 2018 one, and I still have a lot of uh, fondness for that one, too. Did you have any expectations for the new one? Or do you think it's just going to be a money grab? I have, like, I don't want to say tempered my expectations because I am still really excited for it. But I am going in knowing that there's a third one. So, like, obviously, any second one when you know there's going to be a third one is probably going to have some, like, you know, weirdness to it where it, it's just going to fall a little bit flat maybe in certain spots because they're trying to get to the third movie. It's like that second Lord of the Rings where all they do is walk. I'm going in really excited, but also knowing what might be coming with certain stuff. So I watched it this morning before we recorded, and it is very gory. Good. In ways that are very pleasant. And as as a fan of Halloween three, Jared, you got some fun stuff to look forward to. You hear that? <laughs> doesn't necessarily connect to that universe but there there's some nice depth that's added i suppose and bruce avoid this movie like the plague because you would hate it it, it is non-stop characters doing things that they absolutely would not do in any kind of real life <laughs> situation which is obviously a horror trope at this point but uh this movie definitely leans pretty hard into that anyone try and fail repeatedly to start a car? No, I don't believe I so. I call AAA. It's not a problem. <laughs> but there are a lot of uh, people going into houses that they just shouldn't go into. A lot of, uh, you know. So you're let's... screaming at the at the uh, screen going, no, that's a yeah. dumb move. Yeah, I think the, the first time that somebody said, let's split up, Bruce, you would have just oh, God. turned it right off. That is not going to happen. No way. Good. Well, then, when I have that angst level so high that I need to do something, there's my, my answer. I'll go scream. If you don't split up, you won't be able to cover more ground that way. We don't need to. We're going to all huddle here and do nothing together until the authorities come that I've called with my cell phone, right? You've got you to cover more ground. It's important. <laughs> yeah. You go upstairs in the dark room. I'll stay in the basement. Jared made a good point um, about there being a, a known third film uh, that is in the works now. And it's already it's already done as far as I know. Oh, really? Unless it changed at some point. They shot them back to back. I'm fairly okay. certain. So, yeah, Halloween ends this next year. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. Because this definitely does feel like the the first of of two parts, um, and yeah, going into that, where there's 
it's not necessarily a spoiler, but I mean, yeah, it's definitely uh, you can't really have a a last one in a trilogy <laughs> without certain things happening or not happening in this case. And so I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of holding off like absolute judgment until we see that next year. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing David Gordon Green go back to non horror things for a little bit, maybe, but. I love, though, how Jamie Lee Curtis always says, oh, I'm never going to do another one. This is it. This is the last one. How many did she get out of this sucker? Is it at least four, five, six films? Well, she got she got two, and then she showed up in one H2O. of the later ones. From, yeah, there we go. I, I couldn't remember which one yet. She showed up in that one. That's three. And then by the time this trilogy ends, yeah, that'll be six. Six. Yeah. Is that really right? I mean, she's horror movie royalty, so why not? <laughs> yeah, between this and uh, Prom Night. And uh, also Terror Train. She's in, and uh, and I think she's also in The Fog, right? Doesn't she show up in that one too? And she was the star of the TV show Scream Queens. Yeah, so, and then of course her mom, so horror royalty. She can she can be in as many Halloween movies as she wants, as far as I'm concerned. I, you know, and this will be my news, so I'm giving you my news early. But I thought it was really cool that she showed up at the premiere dressed like her mother in Psycho. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool trick. Nice throwback. Yeah. Yes. Any other uh, thoughts on the latest Halloween? No, other than, like I said, uh, you know, because of uh, this one being out, I, uh, I, oh, I should mention too, uh, another thing I went back and watched, uh, David Gordon Green related because the new Halloween is out, is I went back and watched uh, Pineapple Express, uh, also, which uh, some of the like verbal pattern that doesn't hold up now because like that's just not the way like comedy. It's not the Apatow kind of thing quite as much. But some of the physical comedy stuff in that movie still holds up really nicely, and the action scenes in Pineapple Express are honestly actually pretty good. And I really enjoyed some of the shootout stuff in that, especially uh, near the end, um, quite a bit. So. How racist is it? <laughs> uh, not very, I guess, other than like they have the, the Asian gang that they fight against uh, near the end. But uh, that's about it. <laughs> uh, Chris, didn't you rewatch uh, Your Highness? Yep. Mostly because of uh, Halloween Kills. I Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I rewatched Your Highness, which I saw when it came out on DVD originally and uh, thought it was very not good. Uh, and rewatched it and had the same response of it being very not good, but it was confoundingly bad. Like in a, how did this happen on this scale? I know that they got Natalie Portman because I think she had some, some movie had just gotten turned around or something so she had to do something pretty quick and they i guess got her at a weak moment uh for this for anybody who who is unaware blissfully so um the uh yeah your highness is a stoner knights in armor movie that i mean yeah uh with quests and weed and a lot of uh very inappropriate adult humor that Oof, uh, yeah, I. 
it, it's just it, it's it's a confusing film from from the standpoint of what was going on in everyone's head. But I don't encourage anybody to check that out. Doesn't doesn't hold up. Bruce, have you seen the last duel? No, and I think that's going to be bad. As much as they've been pimping it and saying, "Oh, we got to get Ben and and Matt back together." I think it looks dreadful. You look at their haircuts alone and you go, who was doing this? Why is this? And though you know what I thought of the Green Knight? This is the Green Knight all over again in my book. I think it's going to be one of those long slogs where you go, hmm, what did I get out of this except bad English accents from actors who should know better? That's my, my pre- um, expectation of the film but i'll still see it but i really i don't think it's going to be the big thing that everybody is talking about and especially now when when matt damon has been kind of riding the Stillwater wave i don't think this is going to be another wave you know that's an interesting thing too every year is somebody who is kind of in the hunt for an oscar has another kind of backup film that either can derail them and it, everybody says, well, I guess he's not that good. Let's not give it to him. Or it's the one that helped pushes him over. And you'll look back in the history of, of some of these films. And I don't know that this is his backup film to be the, to push Stillwater. I do think he'll be nominated. I think he'll be one of the five in the, in the bunch. But I think this is just one of those ones that you think, oh, yeah, he did that, didn't he? Goodbye. You think that he's going to be nominated for The Last Duel? No, for Stillwater. Oh, for Stillwater, yes. Because that had a good run. People still mention his name when they say, who's, who's likely to be nominated this year? And even though he'll be dropping down the list, um, I think they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, yeah, he should be one of the five. Are you a big Ridley Scott fan, Bruce? Yeah, but he's got another film this year. So it's, you know, is this, yeah, no. I don't think this is anything for anybody. And I know that you're all excited for Dune, but I think that's another thing that's going to pop and fizzle. Bold claims. <laughs> it, is, it is weird with the uh, with the last duel that that was finally the movie where Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were like, yeah, let, let's be in another movie together. Let's reunite in a uh, sword uh, epic movie with really terrible haircuts where we're doing accents that are a little bit beyond our uh, our scope. Right. This is another thing that I find just so weird. Why do we hire American actors to do British roles? And why do British actors do American accents to play American roles? It doesn't make sense. As long as like uh, there's going to be Brits like stealing uh, American parts or stuff, it's totally fair play to have a bunch of Boston guys doing terrible English accents. Uh, like it, that's a totally fair uh, move to steal some of their work. <laughs> it's like when Kevin Costner played Robin Hood and you thought, what part of the country is he from? I don't recognize that accent. I wonder if, you know, what if you'd put Benedict Cumberbatch and um, Eddie Redmayne, for example, in this? Would that elevate it immediately where you go, I'm expecting more of this. It's going to be a better film than I think. I don't know if I would be that much more excited about it if it was like all the the who's who of like all the British actors. It, this is just kind of one of those genres that it's take or leave for me. And like one reason I was at least interested more in the Green Knight is like that had like a psychedelic bent to it. And it felt like it was doing a little, something a little bit different. 
with like these kind of medieval movies, whereas this just seems like a movie that could have been made any time in the past like 20 years of medieval type movies. Sure. Maybe they all just wanted a vacation, you know, not in the United States. So let's do that. Go to Ireland in the middle of a pandemic. Right. <laughs> and uh, Bruce, you mentioned, you know, Ridley Scott has another movie coming out this year. That one I'm way more interested in seeing than The Last Duel. Like, House of Gucci, at least if it's like bad, it looks like it's going to be bad in like an entertaining kind of way. And this just seems like way too self-serious and possibly bad. Yeah, and I think the actors in that really double down and they're, they are in it, you know? You see the, the people you think it could be campy, but it also could be really, it could be the Godfather. That's how kind of wild it could be. For The Last Duel? I want to rewatch Gladiator to give me some context. And then for House of Gucci, I want to rewatch The Counselor to give me more context. As far as him, uh, as far as Ridley Scott being over the top campy and and his, uh, I mean, I know The Last Duel is not a swords and sandals type epic, but it is within that realm, it, it looks like. And The Counselor definitely has gotten a bit of a second wind over the past few years. I, I enjoyed it when it first came out. So I think I'm going to, that's going to be the, the, the appetizers that I'm going to give myself for each of those. Uh, I, I really need to rewatch that now that I've been on like such a kick of reading Cormac McCarthy books. Cause it is wild that he did the screenplay for that movie. <laughs> Any parting shots on Ridley Scott? Well, he deserves to win an Oscar at some point. So let's hope it happens for him. Or he needs to get that, that trade-in card like Glenn Close needs at some point, where after so many nominations, just give him one. So what film of his should have won either Best Director or Best Picture, and it didn't in the past, Bruce? Well, it depends on what it's up against. See, that's where the problem comes. You could have an iconic film where you go, well, why didn't that win? And then there was one that was more iconic that was in the same year. So that's hard to say. I'd have to go back and look at the lists and see what really got jerked around. That's a, a constant uh, Martin Scorsese um, problem is he's always, all of his films are at least in the running. And then you look at which one beat it. And probably the one that, I'm sorry to veer, but the one that he got screwed on was Raging Bull. Raging Bull should have won a long time before anything else. And I think, wasn't it like something really lame, like ordinary people that beat it? So it's like, he should have won for that. With Ridley Scott there, it's such a, an eclectic bunch of films that he does that it's really hard to say he's the master of this. He's a very commercial director. Gladiator did win, but... He didn't win Best Director that year. The Gladiator won Best Picture, well, right? Well, that's a producer thing. And, you know, Ben Affleck has one of those, too. So I don't count those. You need to win the director prize. You know, it's like saying an Academy Award winner, and you're thinking, well, what was it? Oh, they did a short subject at one time. And that, that doesn't count. I don't think you can use that title and then make you think that you're winning it for the acting or directing or whatever. Because one of those goopy guys on a lot of sitcoms has won Oscars in the short subject category. And really? But then you've got someone like uh, like Jim Rash, you know, who's best known as the dean from Community. There you go. One of those goopy guys on a sitcom who won an Oscar. Yeah, but he won it for, for screenplay. 
Yeah, that's legit. That one's legit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he won that for screenplay for um, what was the the George Clooney Descendants? Yep. Yeah, the Descendants. Great movie. He was one of I think like three or four of the the guys that were on whose names were on that script. Okay. Do you have a, an idea then on on the Ridley Scott question? What you would give it for, to him for? Not Gladiator. Gladiator is is just popcorn. I would. I think of of the ones that I would give it to, it would probably end up being Alien. The the one that I think could have the best chance of winning would be Black Hawk Down. If you were going to put that in in a particular year, I don't I don't even know if it got nominated, but that feels like it was uh, could have, could have been in, in in the Hurt Locker category of just really really well-made present tense war movie um so forgotten he done he had done that one because he's done so many movies i'd completely forgotten he was on the did black hawk down yeah he gets i think overlooked so far as the martian having directed that which as far as awards go most notably uh, was nominated in the the comedy musical category at the the Golden Globes, which is still horrible, horrible uh, <laughs> category fraud. Laugh Riot, that movie, Laugh Riot. Right? I mean, when he uses his doo doo to make the potatoes grow, like, I mean, come on. That's that's comedy, Chris. That's <laughs> that's a, you can't get that anywhere, you know. <laughs> well, let's um move along into the uh, the staff pick section. Which uh, for Halloween Kills, we are going to throw out some of our recommendations for horror sequels slash remakes. And it's wild that we could actually have a, a decent pull of sequels to remakes, but sequels and or remakes is the, uh, the broadest approach that we're taking to this. So, um, Jared, do you want to start or uh, Bruce, whoever wants to, to jump in with their pick? I'm going to start, and uh, I, I again uh, have to because I'm uh, generous. The first one I've mentioned on here before, but uh, The Exorcist Three, uh, one of the scariest movies like you'll ever watch. Um, just in terms of how some of the jump scares and stuff are executed in that movie is incredible. Um, it's one of uh, two movies that William Peter Blatty directed, and it's it's kind of far out there in certain parts, which I really like about it. And George C. Scott is in it and gives a great uh, performance as does uh, Brad Dorif as the uh, the killer. Definitely go and watch uh, The Exorcist 3 if you haven't seen that one. And then my other pick. One second, just to clarify, you didn't just completely spoil The Exorcist 3, did you? No, 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 Okay, no. cool. Okay, by just saying who the killer is. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all, not at all. That becomes apparent pretty quickly in the movie. Okay, good. No, so go and see The Exorcist 3 if you haven't seen that one. It's fantastic and, like I said, really, really scary. And I honestly think it's just as good as the the first film. Don't even bother watching the second one. And then the other one I have, like I said, this past week, I watched uh, for the first time House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie. And then after that, I watched uh, The Devil's Rejects, which is a total delight of just a hellish movie. I knew some of the stuff about that movie, like going in, including the fact that uh, Freebird plays uh, near the end of the movie and a good chunk of the song Freebird plays. 
as just a particularly violent thing unfolds. And I was still just completely like captivated by that anyway, even though I knew all about that and had known about it for some time. It's, I, I don't know anyone else that would have made a movie like that other than uh, Rob Zombie. It, uh, it, it's, it's fantastic. I, I don't even know what to say to describe The Devil's Rejects, but uh, watch The Devil's Rejects. It's a lot of fun, but it is definitely not for anyone with a weak stomach. Okay, I'm going to pick one, but it's not necessarily that it's so great. It was just an interesting experience. And that's the remake of Psycho, where it was shot for shot by Gus Van Sant. I thought that was a really fascinating thing because so often they want to give it kind of their own spin. And he was just trying to fit in the shoes of Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and I thought that was an interesting experience and I would go back and watch it again. Yeah, the shot for shot remake of Hitchcock, it, it made me think of, I know Hunter S. Thompson before he was famous, he actually manually would retype The Great Gatsby because he wanted to see what it felt like to write like the, the, the great American novel or something along those lines. And that, that's what it felt like to me um, was him just trying to Gus Van Sant of all people. I mean, not really a known horror aficionado. Um, so just a really weird, unique film in and of itself that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating document. You're totally right, Bruce. But it's, it's not like my scariest thing because there are scarier things, but it's just, it was, for me, it was one that I say, yeah, I'd look at that again because you always see Psycho on, on the um, Turner Classic Movie Channel. That mm -hmm. shows up like every other week. And that's fun just to pick out people that you recognized in the background where um, the guy who played um, Ted Baxter uh, is just one of the jailers where Norman Bates is. And so it's just kind of fun to see all that stuff play out. And again, I don't know that you could beat the original. So the idea, if you were gonna try and do all those stupid sequels they did, and, and Anthony Perkins was one who, who leaned into a lot of that crap. Um, you didn't need that. You really should have left it alone. And I think that's what happens too often with these is they either think they can put a spin on it or that they needed to be a part of this. Now, let it be. What about yours, Chris? Sorry. Oh, Jared. I was going to say two, two things with the, the, the psycho stuff. The, the remake, I, I do still think it's really funny that Vince Vaughn basically is Norman Bates in the, uh, in the remake, which is just really funny considering some of the other movie roles like he has done in the time since that to like go back and try to watch him as a, a psycho killer. And that is pretty great. Um, and then I do wonder if like those like psycho sequels would have ever happened if not for like the or if they had done as many of them if not for the slasher boom in the 80s like for them to keep going back to that well. I think if that hadn't happened maybe Psycho would have just been the, the one movie that everyone knows and loves and not three more sequels that most people have completely forgotten about. Okay Chris what's on your list? Uh, the one that I've got is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, which came out in 1986 and uh, is... Comedy. Yeah, in almost every <laughs> respect, it is the exact opposite of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1. Um, it is directed by Toby Hooper, who directed the first uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. And 
this is very neon colored and bubblegum flavored with the same grodiness, but in a papered over way that the 80s, I think, versus the the 70s makes pretty apparent. I mean, it, it is in the same way that the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a horror movie for the 70s. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is very much a specific kind of horror movie for the 80s. And it is like the poster is even a, a riff on the Breakfast Club, famously. Like, so everything about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, yeah, it's very much 80s. Yeah. Biggest star in there, obviously, is Dennis Hopper as the very aggressive vigilante cop <laughs> who uh, one of his children was the was a victim of Leatherface in the, the first film. I mean, this movie is absolutely insane and well worth tracking down. If anybody's looking to watch Halloween Kills on Peacock, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is on the exact same channel. So actually pretty decent double feature, I would say, between that and Halloween Kills. That's kind of a, a rule of thumb for like some of the most successful like horror sequels, I think, is like to almost completely change almost even what the genre of the movie is. Because like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is basically a, a black comedy. Uh, Aliens, as a, the sequel to Alien, is, is basically a sci-fi action movie. It's not at all a sci-fi horror movie, I don't think. Or even like the Evil Dead Two, like leans way more into like the comedy of the subject than the first Evil Dead did. So I think that is kind of a through line of some of these most, or even like I was talking about the Exorcist Three, like that's almost more of a procedural than the original Exorcist is. I think that's kind of a important part of some of those horror sequels is you've got to almost even shake things up genre wise for your your follow up. I agree. Bruce, you already... I gave you some news. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. You got to roll. Um, and honestly, the news that I had was going to be about Titan. So Jared and I can finish this off. You got to roll. Okay. Have, have a lovely afternoon. A great weekend, Bruce. So what's the uh, the news item you got, Jared? I, I feel like this kind of ties in somewhat to stuff we've talked about on here before, streaming and everything. And that's that uh, if... Things don't change by Monday, basically. 60,000 uh, film TV workers are going to be uh, on strike because of uh, ongoing negotiations that have just uh, stalled out, basically, over a couple different things in particular, including, uh, like, um, rest and then also meals and then, like, the low pay for the lowest paid, like, workers within that industry. And part of it, too, it, like, has to deal with, like, streaming stuff that has kind of found its way in here too where you know because of how diffuse some of the stuff is we talk about now people aren't being entirely fairly compensated for the stuff they work on that ends up on streaming either and then just lives there for forever and i i think it's fascinating as a labor story and then as a film story it's interesting too because there's already been a bottleneck you know with film and tv because of the pandemic and like if they do go on strike starting next week, I feel like that's going to just cause an even bigger bottleneck for, for all of this. And it'll be really, really interesting to see how all that stuff kind of plays out. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, definitely feels like 
these are the professionals that keep things rolling and for them to not get residuals on things because there's not you know i mean like the the cast and crew of seinfeld get money every single time a new streaming company gets the rights to that but once something is entirely on netflix or amazon or apple there there is no residual issues there you know so a lot of the security that you that you're you were buying into and knowing that you would be giving up a lot as far as hours and and upfront pay you know you're gonna you're, you're gonna get it on the other end when uh you know blue bloods gets bought <laughs> you know or licensed to to um you know pluto or wherever it's been an interesting time for all of that because i mean not only is there that going on but like here in iowa and illinois there's the john deere like strike that's going on now too so this is definitely a, a time of more uh labor activity than in the past it feels like so yep i mean there's yep. yeah there's that uh which is certainly heating up and then there's also the the kellogg strike um uh and yeah and and how that filters out into all of the other unionized uh organizations that aren't necessarily striking but are refusing to interact with them or cross, you know, strike lines, picket lines, and uh, that are refusing to scab. And yeah, so it's gonna, if things don't get sorted out, and it certainly looks like this is going to be a game of chicken that comes right down to the last second with with the Hollywood stuff. Um, it's yeah, it's gonna have pretty lasting and long uh, effects. I mean, I I don't know how involved you were in, you know, paying attention to the, the writer's strike from 15, however many years ago, but it seems like it's going to be way more intensive than that. Cause this is happening like on top of the, you know, the pandemic. So like, this is like two layers of stuff. They like could really like upset the Apple card. Yeah. And you figure how schedules in Hollywood, as far as movie releases, production, post-production, all the marketing efforts uh, for things that are that are in the pipeline, they're they're all so uh, you know wound tightly in this very specific clockwork way that the pandemic threw completely out the window, and now something like this, where you've got sets that are going to shut down or be greatly reduced in the amount of content that they can produce if they're going to be scabbing out labor. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's uh, it's going to back things up uh, a long ways if if there's that much chaff that gets you know thrown out there so yeah i'm certainly keeping my eyes on it and it's gonna be interesting to see how how it affects going forward assuming that there there is an eventual deal what kind of deal they get and how that affects bottom line for you know, I mean, I mean, it's the kind of thing that could result in Netflix just passing that added money on to, to users. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. The one that still stands out the most vividly to me is like more than a few years ago now, uh, the former uh, Papa of uh, Papa John's basically saying that like, well, you know, if like, you know, we, we paid our like workers more or whatever, 
you know, pizza would like cost like a dollar more or something like that. And like, it's one of those things where, yeah, fine. I'm more than happy to pay an extra dollar for my pizza for Papa John's or like for my Netflix, if it means it like, the, the lowest paid person like working for some of these people can actually get fairly compensated for the work they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I can't remember. Was it, I mean, I remember seeing, I can't remember if it was John Deere or the um, something at Kellogg's or one of the, one of the striking companies um, or the, one of the, the worker groups that's, that's currently striking. Uh, I think it, you know, it's, CEO pay going up like 160% while <laughs> employees, you know, hours and, and pay is being cut and the overall income, the, the overall bottom line for the the companies is not where it's at. So yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to see the, the, uh, the fallout from it because it's going to have some pretty big implications. Oh yeah. Whether it's successful or not, whether they, can come to an agreement by the end of this weekend or i mean yeah we'll, we'll definitely be talking about it on next week for sure yeah um yeah well you want to take us out yeah absolutely um look you know if you're living in a town maybe a town in uh you know illinois an unknown town in illinois and there's a, a killer that has somehow been set free again by a, a hapless firefighting department uh, and he's rampaging the town again for like the third time now um get, get away from get away from the downtown area maybe even go out of town for the weekend go to like the big city uh and find a local cineplex or an indie theater and uh, go and see something good see something spooky you don't need to deal with some 65 year old or 61 year old serial killer that's that's too much to deal with. Just go see something good in the theater far, far away from there. Yeah. We've all had a, a tough couple of years and uh, it, you don't need to deal with Michael Myers on top of that. Everyone should. No, you don't need that crap in your life. No way. Some <laughs> the, the ultimate bad vibes. Yes. <laughs> well, cool. Well, uh, thank you. Thanks to, to Bruce who, who had to jet. I'm sure he sends his, his warmest regards out to our, to our listeners as well. Um, yeah, man. So that is the end of the episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed so you won't miss out on our next week's show when we'll finally get to cover Dune, which is coming to HBO Max and theaters, as well as the latest bit of whimsy from Wes Anderson, The French Dispatch, and a horror movie on Netflix called Night Teeth. You can check the show notes for links to where you can stream the movies that we talked about, discover older episodes, and find ways to contact Bruce, Jared, and myself if you want. The show is produced by myself, Bruce, and Jared, and I'm the one who records and edits it. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and are taking good care of yourself. As always, thank you so much for listening. I mean, when he uses his doo-doo to make the potatoes grow, like, I mean, come on. That's that's comedy, Chris. That's, <laughs> that's like, you can't get that anywhere, you know? <laughs>